Welcome to The Culture Lane, where we explore the products, people, and services driving the shifting world of automotive and mobility. Here, we take a different route when navigating the changing transportation landscape. So settle in, buckle up, and let the journey begin. There is arguably no business sector undergoing the degree of change that the world of automotive and mobility is experiencing right now. In fact, the transformation of the industry is what prompted me to launch the Culture Lane podcast after covering automotive and mobility for nearly 20 years as a journalist. Every facet of the industry is shifting, and for many who have been entrenched in this world for some time, this evolution is paving the way for new opportunities, new ideas, and new ways of thinking about the business. No executive in the transportation sector better personifies this new era and the willingness to tackle all the challenges that come with it more than Marcus McCammon. Marcus started his career in the business at the then Chrysler Corporation in 1998, later creating the Dodge SRT4, which was the blueprint for the popular SRT marquee. Over his 25-plus year career in the industry, he has held executive roles at American Specialty Cars, ASC, the high-performance car company Celine, the electric car startup Aptera, Intel subsidiary Wind River, and the global transportation energy and environmental solutions company Ricardo. Now, Marcus is responsible for leading the Fisker offshoot, Karma Automotive, as the newly appointed president of the electric car company, which has struggled to gain its footing in the market since launching in 2014. In this inaugural episode of The Culture Lane, we talked to Marcus in his first podcast interview as head of Karma to get his perspective on this new era of mobility and how he plans to build on his experience in the business to recharge Karma Automotive for the road ahead. Marcus, thank you for joining us on The Culture Lane. Uh, thank you for having me. Really honored to be here. This new role at Karma has to be pretty exciting, Marcus, given that you've really been preparing yourself um, for a position like this for for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, so um, getting the chance to sit at the helm of, of a car company has been my my dream uh, across my entire automotive career. Um, you know, when I first interviewed for my job uh, as a as a staff engineer at Chrysler, uh, joining into the, the Chrysler Institute leadership training program. I, um, I told the, the interviewer then that I wanted to come make a name for myself and then ultimately run my own car company. And then, you know, it was kind of funny because then he told me, well, yeah, that's not really the way that it works, but you know, fast forward, you know, 25 plus years and here we are. What prompted you though, to, to take this position in particular? Well, um, like I said, I've always had this, um, this view that um, our generation w- was going to see uh, a new, uh, you know, a new wave of car companies come into play, right? I didn't really know what that meant or what it was going to look like, but I the the aspiration that I had for myself was to be a part of that. You know, back then I thought maybe 
it would be something like, you know, Shelby cars or, or, um, AMG, where it was kind of a niche that played off of the, off the side of a core auto company. But, you know, as you, you well know, you know, over the past 20 years now, we've seen the rise of a whole new, um, segment of automotive with, with new emerging vehicle companies. And, you know, I, I've been trying to shape my, career and experiences so that if, if I ever had a chance like this, I would be ready. And when it came, you know, I, my attitude was I wasn't going to pass it up. You know, it's interesting you say that, you know, you've, you've we've watched, we both, right, watched how this, this industry has sort of transformed. Um, the, the thing, you know, when you look at that transformation, though, for, for those that have been in the industry for quite some time, um, depending on the circles you're in, it's, the circles you're in, it seems like it's a little bit more difficult for some to sort of deal with this transformation than others. What has helped you, you think, as someone that, you know, gave, you know, helped launch, gave birth to a, a brand, a marquee brand like SRT, what has helped you to sort of make that, that transition? Yeah. And I think it's a great question. Um, so it, it's interesting. You, you, want to always believe that, you know, you, you, you had your hard work and efforts recognized. Um, I think that in all aspects of business, there's always an element of luck and timing. Um, you know, I think one of the things for me, um, you know, obviously coming into the industry, there was not a whole lot of people in the industry that I had exchanged with who had similar backgrounds to me or came from the same, you know, neighborhoods, communities that I did. So it was, it was difficult to find, um, kind of the, 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 the model or the mentor, um, it, it, that you, you know, that you could relate to on all levels. So what I tried to do uh, as I went to the industry was, was really find people who had knowledge that I didn't and, and had the willingness to share it. So that was, that was probably one. Uh, and then the second was really, um, spending time trying to decompose what constitutes a leader in the industry. So I, I can remember, oh goodness, it had to be uh, 2000, um, uh, sitting in, a, in, a, in the office of Dr. Dita Zetcha when, when uh, after Daimler did the merger of equals with Chrysler and asking him, you know, kind of what makes you tick? How do you determine what decisions are going to be the right ones for the business? And, you know, and what, what motivates you to get up every morning? And, and I, I would... Um, ask those same questions to any leader that had a experience base or a perspective that I thought I hadn't been exposed to. And I just tried to assimilate those into my own personal view of the industry. From a leader, from a leadership standpoint, how do you sort of manage or navigate this, this more traditional passion for cars when making this transition into electrification? Well, it's, it's a great question. You know, I think that there is an era in front of us now where if we're not careful, the automobile becomes an appliance, right? And there's, there's some people who have even gone as far as to say that in the era of electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles, that a car is just a laptop on wheels. But I think, and this is why the, my role in karma is so interesting to me. I think that there's still an innate desire and that desire is global for the automobile to be an extension of, of a person's uh, personality, their lifestyle, um, their, their, their personal self view. 
And I think that if we lose that in an effort to, to move into a modern era, then we move one, we, we lose one of the things that has helped define, um, you know, frankly, the, uh, a key part of our culture for the past century. So I see my, my role at Karma as, as an opportunity for me to preserve that, to find the space where technology and, and innovation, electrification and software can come into alignment with a real love for the automobile and a love for driving. How, how do you how do you see your your previous experiences helping helping you to do that achieve that goal? Well, you know, I think if I go all the way back to, um, you know, my most benign experiences working on the plant floor um, at Jeep Truck when we were launching Grand Cherokee in what was that ninety eight ninety nine, um, you know, really understanding. It was great to get that experience starting off with a brand as iconic as Jeep because, you know, really the understanding how, how deeply a brand can permeate throughout a business. You know, everyone who touched anything Jeep in that era, um, lived it and breathed it, right? Jeep was not a, it wasn't a vehicle. It was a culture. Um, then going from that to, you know, like you said, um, uh, building out the first, um, concept card that ever wear the SRT badge, which was the, the neon SRT four. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time then really unpacking what was it about the, um, about the subcompact car culture that really connected with young, younger drivers and, and what was going to really spark their excitement. And then we, we use that same notion that you said same construct of, of finding the spark for driving passion and use it to permeate uh, SRT ac- across the rest of the Dodge and Chrysler lineup. You know, from there, I went to ASC and at ASC we were doing, um, we, we were the house that helped all the larger automakers do the niche vehicles that they wanted to put out to, to drive excitement in the brand, but weren't necessarily core to their portfolio. And then going to Celine where, I mean, the, the culture at Celine was, was um, zealous almost. I mean, people who love Celine cars, Loved it, breathed it. They followed everything that you did. They had all the jackets. They knew the the history of the races. They knew how many races the brand had won. So all throughout my career, I've had um, I've been blessed and fortunate to to be in experience in in areas and experiences where um, part of my job was to really unpack the connection between the human and the automobile. I think the thing that was really interesting for me more more uh, recently is working at companies like Intel, Intel's Wind River um, and Ricardo, because at, 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 at Wind River, that same question begot, uh, became manifest in software, right? It was like, how do you take digital experiences and make connections with customers and make them adaptable and connectable? So so I, I feel like, you know, from the start of my career to now, I've learned uh, a, a really deep connection with the conventional view, but I also have lived and breathed the, the, what I'd say the contemporary modern technological view. And, and what I hope and what I, you know, what I say to my team often is I want to be the bridge, right? I want both myself and, and our company to be the bridge between the two things so that you can still have an act and access the technology and the modern conveniences, but you don't have to give up the, the, the really the real thing that you're falling in love with. It's not falling in love with the app screen in the middle of the car. You know, that that's, that's not, that's not, that's not automotive. Um, 
what you want to fall in love with is that a, is a car that that understands you and connects with you and connects you to the road. And when you when you look at some of the the challenges that that EV startups uh, have faced and continue to face, do you think that um, some of those challenges are due to the fact that they are not looking at it from that perspective? Absolutely. So, you know, I've I've it's been really interesting because I've been on the OEM side, I've been on the tier one side, and then I've also been a consultant, right? And so I, I was bidding to, to do design work for, for Elon Musk before the Model S was, was ever fully pinned, right? And, and what I've seen is that on one side, the, the tech industry and the startup culture brings what I, the term I use is a brilliant naivety, right? They look at the automotive industry and they can see, they can see opportunity in the industry because they're not necessarily um, biased or tainted by the things that us, those of us who've been in the industry longer see as obstacles. So where most people who've, you know, done large volume production cars, you know, they look at, you know, certification obstacles and they look at platform design. And, um, you know, we have so much experience in the industry that, that we've, there's been a lot of things that have been tried and failed. So, in, in some instances, we don't keep pushing on that innovation uh, button. These guys come in, they have none of that background, so they push on everything. But, but the flip side of it is they don't necessarily like the, that, that process to perfection. They don't understand that process to perfection, right? I mean, if you use the, the laptop analogy, if a laptop fails, right, or if iPhone fails, you get a black screen, you reset it, and you go on about your business. That's not the way that a car works, right? Every the car has to be is, you know, you get a black screen in a car and it and it kills the the operating systems of the vehicle, you can have, you know, material collateral damage. So so both sides are right, but I think but the but finding the balance between the two is is the magic. The conventional industry, the the biggest thing that's impeding them right now is all of the legacy infrastructure that they've built in over the past 100 plus years. On the flip side, the the new guys, the thing that gives them such a uh, as an obstacle is the lack of knowledge of all of that infrastructure, and and what you find is that they spend billions of dollars making mistakes that you know people who've who've done it for a long time, had, you know they've kind of gone past those mistakes a long time ago. Well, well, how do you how do you find that balance though? I mean, where is it? Where is the balance in all of that? I can't speak for everybody. I, I mean, I, I can try. I can try and speak for myself and our team at Karma. Um, so for me, it, it really begins in understanding the scale, the relative scale of your business, because the the approach that you can take to um, to you know development, manufacturing, um, supply chain, all those things varies by scale, and. You know, the, I think one of the things that's, it's, it's an, it's inspiring, but also, like I said, brilliant, brilliantly naive at times is everyone thinks that they can come into the industry and move to the same scale as the large auto companies and they're going to do it in a third of the time. So, um, so I think the first thing that the new guys have to do is really understand where is a scale where they can be relevant and then, and then shape their business to match that scale. Relative to the technologies of the past, you know, again, one of the difficulties that we have is 
um, or I'm sorry, relative to the, to the, the guys who've been in the industry longer, the legacy companies, one of the issues that they have is every generation of cars they build, they build them on a base of the technology from the prior generation. Well, to get to the features and the, and the capabilities that they want, you can't necessarily do that incremental model. It, it has to be revolutionary. So you have to really rethink the way that you architect a car. And, um, you know, they, the, the large players, you know, the, 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 the multinational, uh, OEMs have a challenge because since Tesla's rise, the, the, uh, investment community isn't really giving the large automakers credit for the, for the progress that they're making. As a matter of fact, they get penalized for not being able to transform the, their companies overnight. Uh, and, and that's a very difficult place for them to live in. So they have to find areas where they can, where they can demonstrate the transformation, but still maintain the profitability of their core business. So it, they find themselves in a real catch 22. So, you know, I, I'm not the CEO of Ford, GM or Chrysler. So I don't, I won't profess to tell you know, Volkswagen, VW, you know, I, I wouldn't profess to tell them how to run their business. What I can say is for me, is uh, at Karma, it is to uh, really be very specific about which vehicles and which platforms are going to carry which generation of technology and be very focused about it, right? Don't you, uh, I'm, you know, if I'm going to, to take a platform and move it forward to, let's call it generation next, I, I'm not going to allow uh, the, 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 the pressures of convenience or ease to allow, uh, to, to pollute that, that, that model and that vision, right? It's a risk that you have to take, but, but the risk has to be focused or you're not, you're never going to get there in time. And then for the, the parts of my portfolio that are conventional, um, I let them be conventional until, till we reach their milestone for transformation. And, and it, it takes a very, um, conscientious, uh, and, and, uh, and thoughtful, uh, uh prog- and progressive strategy to do that. Then the next obvious question is how do you build on that idea and move the needle in terms of sales? Um, especially given that there are so many new car brands entering the space. Uh, well, for me it's it's, I'm not going to try and, and please everyone. So um, I've challenged my team to understand our customers and understand them with a great deal of intimacy. Uh, and I think that the closer that we can get to the customer, their wants, their needs, um, and, and their aspirations in the vehicle, the, 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 um, the less I will have to worry about, um, the, you know, what my competitor is doing today or tomorrow, or what new guys coming into the market. The only thing I really need to understand is, is how do I get more deeply engaged with the customer? You know, the, ind- the automotive industry is, is really interesting because um, it, it's the second largest investment that we uh, generally make, but it is, it is the most expressive in, in, and closest to how you would think of fashion, right? It's, it's, it's like when fashion meeting utilitarianism. So um, I go and buy a tool or an appliance for my home. It has a specific purpose, you know, to wash my clothes, to keep my, my food fresh and cold. Um, so, so just like your car has the purpose of getting you from point A to point B and carrying your people and your stuff. But 
But the difference with the car is that you spend so much money on it, so much time in it, uh, and that you really look for it to, to reflect you. Okay. And, and the more that you can find that reflection, and I'll be honest, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to find that reflection in today's market, right? You know, a lot of, a lot of the market is feeling really vanilla and same and, and, you know, everyone's got the same vehicle proportions and the same size and the same performance and more or less the same price point. There's not a lot of the, the, the level of, of distinctiveness that used to be in the industry is, is harder and harder to find. So I think for me, it is really, really understanding the customer and finding that thing in them that, that the rest of the industry is, you know, candidly walking away from. It really is about product and customer experience at the end of the day, isn't it? That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, we can talk, we can talk to ourselves until we're blue in the face on you know, about technology and, um, but at the end, the, the technology is just an enabler to the experience. It's about the experience. Karma has, has been, has, has faced some, some criticism among some for, for, for not, <laughs> for not meeting its mark. Um, and I guess I'm putting it a little lightly, right? For not meeting yes, benchmarks. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that challenge as it relates to how it, it might taint the brand to, to, to some degree? Well, the only thing that I think that we can do is own it. Right. I mean, so I think if you're going to have a brand that has any kind of strength and following, it has to have a level of honesty. It has to be honest, has to be authentic. So, um, for me to try and hide from the sins of the past of the company would be disingenuous. Uh, so, we own the fact that the company has had struggles, but we also own the fact that the company um, had was was really um, stood up with a very noble purpose, right? So everyone knows the story. It was the company was Fisker once upon a time. Fisker goes bankrupt, and then a a, a wealthy investor who built his entire life in the automotive industry, starting from a bicycle shop, and then building it into a multi you know multi-multi-billion dollar enterprise, buys the company, uh, cures its loans, and then renames it as Karma, the, the namesake of the very first company that, uh, of the very first vehicle under the, under the original Fisker brand. But, fr- but, but, the, but what people don't know is why he did that and what he was aiming for, right? So you had this guy, he's, like I said, an industrialist who started from nothing, built to this, this massive conglomerate inter- enterprise, global enterprise. And what he said is, before I die, I want to make a difference in the world. And he um, made his made his life and his and his fortune from selling parts into the automotive industry, right? You know, providing parts for service and 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 repair. And he saw that element of his of his history as being productive. Yeah, he made a he 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 made good money. He created jobs for a lot of people. Um, you know, he supported the industry. But he saw saw it to 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 some degree as, uh, for lack of a better word, dirty, right? Um, and what he said is that the future is going to be in clean energy, uh, and and making sure that the planet is safe for the generations that follow. And before he he said, before I die, I wanna I want to own and I want to create a clean energy company, clean energy vehicle company, and that's why he bought Karma. 
So he saw that there was a uh, why he, that's he that's why he started Karma rather. So he saw that there was a lot of good work, good investment that had already been paid into the business, and he thought that if he put his resources against it and and a good team, he could take it take it to the next level. Now, some of that has been achieved, and some of it is still to be achieved, right? But I think that the because his vision, his reason, his his desire for the company was so pure and so powerful. Um, the, the potential for the company is equally as pure and as powerful. And as I come in, what I really want is I want people to know that story. Um, I want them, you know, I can't stop them from knowing the, the, the tales of karma past, but what I can do is kind of aim them to what's towards what's going to come in the future. In, in closing, Marcus, when assessing all of these things we've discussed as it relates to to getting karma where it needs to be, what do you see as the biggest challenge for the company and how will you tackle that challenge? Probably the biggest challenge that I have is that karma existed in the market without really telling, without ever introducing itself, right? Not really telling people who and what it was. So it's great that we made cars. It's great that we sold cars. Um, it's great that, you know, people have complimented them on how beautiful they were. But we were never really clear on the identity of the company. What do we stand for? Who are we? Why should we exist? Right. And, and what are we bringing to the consumer and to the marketplace that's different than everybody else? And so that's where my focus and my attention is, is really um, uh, targeted in the near term. You know, and, and it's funny because to some degree, I'm, I'm, I'm creating the same message for myself, right? So last time that there was an African-American to sit at the head of a, of a retail auto company was in the early 1900s. Today, you've got um, Ed Hightower, who, who runs uh, Lordstown, a commercial vehicle-focused OEM. And then you got me, right? And so I have to think about what is my time in the industry going to represent uh, and, and in the same way that I have to think about that for myself personally, uh, and I also have to think about what is it that, that karma is going to stand for. And, and I think clarity there will help us to overcome all the other challenges. Well, well, I will say this, Marcus, as, as someone who has covered your career and observed the strategic moves you made in this industry, it should be exciting to watch. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on The Culture Lane. Now, on to the next journey.